Hello, and thank you for joining us online. Uh, we know that uh, doing church online is nearly impossible. In fact, it is not ideal at all. But in the meantime, we are so grateful that we have a tech team able to make this happen so that we can continue streaming the sermon into your living, living room so you can continue hearing from the Word of God. Um, so we're incredibly grateful that even though it's a tough season, uh, God is still working and His promises are still marching forward, that we are not stagnant, but we are being sanctified into the image of Christ. And so if you're new with us, uh, we are glad to have you watching this sermon online and uh, just invite you to reflect with us as we go through Matthew uh, over the next several weeks. Today we're in Matthew chapter 8, and uh, I just want to begin by reading from the text itself. And so if you'll join me by turning to Matthew chapter 8, we'll begin in verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said, to those who follow him. Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Let's just take a moment and pray together before we see what this text means for us today. Father God, we thank you so much that your word is alive and it's living and active. And even right now, when we cannot go out as much, when we cannot be together uh, with the people of God, you are still working in us, Father, through your word. And so, Father, I pray that right now, as the explanation, the exposition of your word goes out, that you will show people Jesus, and that as they see Jesus in Matthew 8, that they'll be transformed into his likeness, Father, that they'll image him even greater, even better than they did before this time. For those who don't believe in Jesus, Father, I pray that you take this time and that you will level their heart, Father, break their opposition to you, and bring them to faith, God. 
Help them to see that Jesus is the only way we can have life. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Now, you know, I think Matthew 8 has a lot to do with us, especially today in the times that we live in. Social distancing has us dreaming about the day we can go out again. When we can be with friends again. When we can give a high five or a handshake or even get a hug again. More than ever before, we have experienced how painful it is to be separated from others. However, in this situation, in this time of alienation that we are in, we are reminded about the work that Christ came to, to accomplish. In particular, we are reminded of his work to end our separation from God. As sinners, we are all separated from Christ and alienated from God and his promises. And yet, Christ came so that we who were once far off, we who were once distant from God, we who were once alienated from our Creator could be brought near. So while COVID may have us distancing ourselves from each other and from our friends and from our loved ones, the gospel reminds us that because of who Jesus is, there is no distance between us and God whatsoever. Christ's authority and healing, as it is recorded in Matthew 8, demonstrates this truth. As with everything in Matthew's gospel, the primary focus is not on the signs and miracles themselves, but instead the focus is on what those signs and miracles tell us about Jesus. They are meant to display his nature. They are meant to show off his character and to tell us the truth of who he is. On the one hand, these miracles, especially in in Jesus' healing ministry, display his power and his authority over disease, over illness, and even over demons, over the enemies of God. But on the other hand, his healing ministry illustrates the kind of redemptive work that he has come to do. So as we approach Matthew 8, 1 through 13, we will find three examples of how Jesus' healing points us to the truth of the gospel. And with each example, Matthew will show us that Jesus is the Savior of the world through whom God has brought those of us who were once far off near to himself. And I just want to set the context because some of you have not been able to follow us through our study of the gospel of Matthew. Um, We have just finished up Matthew 5 through 7. That's called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount shows Jesus' authority in teaching. He doesn't teach like a normal scribe or like a normal rabbi. He teaches as one who has authority. And now we get to Matthew 8 and we begin to transition into other displays of Jesus' authority, particularly his authority over sickness, over the consequences of our fall. So throughout this section, Matthew shows that Jesus only needs to say a word or he merely needs to stretch out his hand And the afflicted person, the sick person, is immediately healed, is made well, all because of what Jesus has done in interceding on that sick person's behalf. Now, I think there is far more going on in this text than than, than might initially meet the eye. Uh, I think there's far more going on than just Jesus healing people. And I think we do damage to the text when we reduce Jesus down to nothing more than some kind of miracle worker, some kind of wonder-working healer who's going from town to town healing people. First, I think we have to understand that the primary focus is not on 
the healing itself, but on what the healing is showing us about Jesus. You have to remember what sickness, what disease, what demon oppression, what pain, what death, and all the other human maladies are and why they exist. How have these things come about? Why are they in our, in our world? Why do we suffer underneath them? Now, these things have not always been a part of human existence. When God made the earth, he declared it very good. You can find that in Genesis 2.1. God made all things good, which means there was no COVID. There were no pandemics. There was no cancer. There was no asthma, no autoimmune diseases, no heart disease, no diabetes, no suffering whatsoever. Everything was perfect peace, perfect harmony, and perfect paradise. So how, how did these things come into our world? Well, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, the entire world was plunged into brokenness. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, when they rejected his kingship over them, when they tried to become God themselves, this is what has happened. A fallen world. And so what we're experiencing right now, where microbes are, are able to humble humanity and remind us that we're mere mortals and that we are susceptible to death, we are reminded once again that even COVID, that diseases, that sicknesses, that illnesses are a byproduct of living in a fallen world that has rejected God as its king. This is what life without God looks like. They're reminded, they're reminders that without God, our life is in danger. Without God, the consequences of sin are death. Our broken relationship with God has led to a broken world. Now, that's true for sickness, but what about the Savior? Who is Jesus in these stories? When we, when we read about Jesus healing a leper, or we read about Jesus raising someone from the dead, or we read about Jesus opening the eyes of a blind man, or, or helping a deaf man hear, what do we know about Jesus? Who is Jesus? He's not just another miracle-working prophet. He's not just some other profound teacher or some good guy that's found some kind of hokey trick to, to make somebody's temporary malady go away. No, Jesus is God himself who took on flesh. He existed eternally with God. John 1, 1 says the word was with God and the word was God. And then it says that the word took on flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's who Jesus is. It is God himself. And so when you read about Jesus healing the sick, we are seeing God himself step into the brokenness of this fallen world. Step into the mire. Step into the muck. Step into the, the, the disease and the death that humanity has. This is God stepping in to intervene on our behalf. God taking on flesh to fix the broken world that we broke. He made it perfect. He made it good. We broke it through sin. And yet he has come in all of his grace, all of his glory, all of his love to fix what we broke and to bring it into restoration and renewal. So when Jesus heals people in Matthew's gospel... He does so to show that God has come in flesh to make all things new. Jesus' healing gives us a glimpse of what a redeemed and restored world looks like under the reign of the one true eternal king. What will the world look like 
under the eternal reign of Jesus Christ. And we were giving just a, just a slight glimpse of what the world under Jesus' reign would look like. And my hope is if you've ever been fearful of submitting to Jesus, thinking, I can't submit to a king, I want my own independence, this is what life looks like under the king. It is back to the way God intended it. It's a restored life in the presence of God himself. Interestingly, all three of the healings that we're going to read about in Matthew point to a greater spiritual reality lying under the surface. The leper, the centurion, and the crowds all work together to provide pictures of the greater redemptive work that Christ came to accomplish on our behalf. Namely, he has come to end humanity's separation from God, to bring exiled and alienated sinners like you and like me back into the presence of our loving creator. This is what these healings show us about the gospel and about Christ. And so my hope is as we move through these, you'll be considering how you yourself are alienated. You're the leper, you're the centurion, you're the sick, and Jesus is the one who can bring you in, make you clean, make you whole, and give you life in the presence of God once again. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, gives us the first redemptive picture uh, through the healing of the leper. Here's what it says. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof, proof to, to them. Now, I don't think any of us have ever experienced alienation quite like lepers did in the ancient Near East. It was an incurable disease, a disease that had uh, no known treatment, no known cure, and it was a threat to any it came into contact with. It was highly infectious, and and it was something that everybody feared. So in order to protect people, Leviticus 13, 45 through 46, describes the kind of social distancing or self-quarantining that lepers had to go through. Just listen to some of the instructions here, and and I think you can kind of see uh, some correlations with the day that we live in. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long, he, as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside of the camp. Everything about a leper, from his disheveled hair, his torn clothes, to the verbal proclamation of his sickness, warned people to stay away, to keep their distance. It's like seeing someone that has a mask in our day. We keep our distance thinking they're sick, so we've got to keep our distance to keep from getting the, the virus. Well, in those days, when the lepers came walking around, everybody dispersed. Nobody wanted to be near. Lepers had to leave their families. They had to leave their friends. They had to leave behind their homes. They had to find new ways to live out in the wilderness, outside of civilization, to protect their loved ones, their community, their cities, from catching the deadly disease. And as they lived outside the camp, the rest of Israel continued on with life. 
the people got together, they prayed, they sacrificed, they went up to the temple, they held festivals to celebrate God. And all the while, a leper is standing outside of the city, listening to the trumpets at the temple, listening to the celebration feast, wishing he could be in and among the people of God, worshiping God and, and experiencing God's presence once again, to, to just walk through the gate of the temple once again, once again. But he can't because he's unclean. The leper of Matthew 8 broke every rule when he approached Jesus. There was simply something about Jesus that compelled him to discard the, the, the demand for social distancing. He came to him, knelt before him, and confessed, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, I think it's ironic that this poor leper who lives alone and lives away from everybody else and for who knows how long has not been able to go to the temple, not been able to experience worship in the presence of God. He, better than the religious elite of the day that get to go into the presence of God every day, he sees Jesus with greater clarity. He knows that Jesus has authority. He knows that Jesus is sovereign over his leprosy. And he trusts that Jesus is the one that can end his exile. Now, the leper's not the only one that broke every rule. Jesus did as well. When the leper came to him, Jesus did not merely wave, didn't nod at him. He didn't give him any elbow bump. Jesus did something nobody else would do. He stretched out his hand and he touched him. According to Leviticus, anyone who touches something or someone unclean automatically becomes unclean themselves. Therefore, if anyone were to touch a leper who's unclean, then the person who touches the leper instantaneously becomes unclean and would have to distance themselves for a period of time until they were sure that they had not contracted the the disease themselves. This time, however... It's not the same. Jesus, the clean one, stretches out his hand and he touches the unclean leper. This time, instead of the clean person being made unclean, Jesus makes the unclean clean. No one but God could do that. Jesus' hand, absolutely pure, absolutely clean, touches unclean leper, and the unclean leper becomes instantaneously clean. Such is the power of Jesus. Imagine what it would have been like to have been touched after such a long time of distance, after such a long time of being separated from people. Instead of being met with revulsion and disgust and screams and People running away. The leper was met with the kind hand of Jesus Christ. The moment Jesus' hand touched him. Immediately. Instantaneously. His exile was over. His alienation was put to an end. Jesus told him to show himself to the priest to go, presumably back to Jerusalem, presumably to the temple, to present himself to the priest, and then to offer up the gift that Moses commanded. This, I think, alludes back to what Moses commanded in Leviticus. 
when he told people that if they were to be cleansed from their leprosy, that they were to go and offer up a sacrifice. And that sacrifice was a declaration that the leper no longer needed to distance themselves. He was clean. He was now free to come near. He could now join in the festival. He could come to the temple of God. He could watch the sacrifices again. He could join in the celebration with God's people. And all this happened because Christ stretched out his hand and touched him. And made him clean. This first healing demonstrates a greater work that Christ has come to do. He has come to end our alienation from God. He has come to end the exile, to end the separation, to bring you who are far off, you who are outside of the camp, you who are unclean, to make you clean and bring you near to Himself. This healing is a visible illustration. It really happened. The leper was a real person who was really made clean. But it is an illustration of what Ephesians 2 tells us. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It is only because Jesus has stretched out his redemptive hand and touched unclean sinners like me, unclean sinners like you, that we have been made clean and now we no longer need to be distant from our God, no longer need to be separated from the one who made us. There's a second redemptive picture in this text. And it's given as Jesus comes into Capernaum. When he had entered Capernaum, A centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, centurions, if you don't know who they were, they were commanders in the Roman army. They had uh, authority over at least a hundred soldiers. They were not popular among the people of Judea, and they themselves were considered outsiders. They were Gentiles, those who were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's what a Gentile was. That's what a Roman centurion was. But again, we see the irony that this Gentile Roman officer understood who Jesus is better than most of Judea's religious leaders of the day. First, he recognized that Jesus ranked over him. He recognized that Jesus was not just some other man, but he was a man who deserved the honor and the, and the title Lord. He comes to him, calling him Lord. Now imagine, just right there, a Roman centurion calling a Jewish rabbi Lord. He sees something about this teacher. He sees something about Jesus that very few others are seeing. He calls him Lord, and he asks him, Lord, uh, uh, my, he asks him to come and heal. He asks him to heal his servant, knowing that Jesus is sovereign over even his servant's sickness. Second, he recognized his unworthiness to be in the presence of Jesus. He says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. In those days, it was unlawful for a Jew to enter a Gentile's house. It was considered 
something that was banned uh, among the people of God. Gentiles are outsiders, and to intermingle and to be together was a sign that you yourself were submitting to unclean uh, households, unclean hospitality, unclean foods. You were, you were merging unnecessarily, and therefore you were not acting like the distinct and holy people of God. And so Jews and Gentiles were not to be together under the same roof. When the centurion said this, though, he was acknowledging his own separation from God's people. He was acknowledging that he was indeed an outsider, that he was not worthy of having such a Lord in his house, in his home. But third, he understood Jesus' authority. He merely needed to say the word. Jesus didn't need to come to his house. Jesus didn't need to make the distance and, and walk through the front door and touch the servant's hand and raise him up. Jesus just needed to say the word. Just say the word. Just like the cre- creator saying something like, let there be light. And there was light. That's all Jesus needed to do. All he needed to do is say that the servant would be healed and the servant would be healed. The Roman centurion knows that. He recognizes that Jesus is a man of authority. So those are some of the things that this Roman centurion sees about Jesus, that he confesses about Jesus. And once Jesus hears the centurion's confession, here's what Jesus says. Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He then told the centurion, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. Matthew says that the servant was healed at that very moment, instantaneously, at a word. Jesus merely said it would happen, and it did right when Jesus said it would happen. Jesus emphasizes for us that this centurion, Gentile though he was, has a greater faith than all those in Israel of his day. He points to this as evidence that many will come from east and west, which is a symbol of the nations outside of Israel. He's talking about the Gentiles, many from east and west, the Gentile nations, these people that are outside of the covenant people of God will come and they will recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now back in those days, reclining at the table was a symbol of fellowship. It was a symbol of blessing. It was a symbol of communion with somebody else. And so when Jesus is saying that this centurion's faith, uh, because of the centurion's faith, that it is proof that Gentile nations, Gentile people will come and recline, will enjoy blessing, will enjoy a place at the table next to Israel's patriarchs, next to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They don't have a lower place Gentiles don't eat scraps. They don't eat crumbs off the table. They have a place at the table. And right here, we have a foretaste of what Jesus has come to do. He's come to bring in the nations. He's come so that Chinese people will have a place at the, king, at the kingdom's table. He's come so that blacks and whites will be able to sit at the same table, receive the same blessing, enjoy communion with God. 
He's come so that Russians and Canadians and Americans and people who speak Swahili, people who speak Quechua, he's come so that this big table of the kingdom would be filled with people of all nations. Now I think at this point, a careful reader will be asking why Jesus would mention a future table fellowship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What does Abraham have to do with a Roman centurion? Why bring Abraham into the story at all? Why is Abraham important at this point of the story? Now, I think what we should be doing is when we see the name Abraham, we should be thinking back on the promises that God made to Abraham. We should be thinking back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, when God promised, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. We should be thinking back to Genesis twenty two eighteen when God said, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. God's word to Abraham, God's promise to Abraham, said that there would be a day when all nations would be restored into the Edenic blessing of God, the paramount blessing being communion with the Creator forever and ever. This Roman centurion, he might have been outside the commonwealth of ethnic Israel, He might have been an outsider. He might have been a Gentile. But still, because of his faith in Jesus, he was living proof that God's promise to Abraham was being fulfilled in Christ. Jesus is the blessing of the nations. Jesus, the son of Abraham, has fulfilled God's promise. And now even a Roman centurion, one of the unlikeliest of people, can have a place at the table with Abraham, alongside Abraham, enjoying the feast under the Father's care, under the Father's love and grace. And it's only because of Jesus, and it's only because of his redemptive work that the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile has been broken down. It is only because of Jesus and only in Jesus that Gentiles, those outside the promises of God, have been ushered into the kingdom and given a seat at the table. And now, outsiders from the nations who trust in Jesus are no longer strangers and aliens. Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens. They're no longer outsiders. They're no longer foreigners in God's kingdom. They are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In Christ, we, who were once foreigners to God's kingdom, are now sons and daughters. My friends, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're not just a stranger. You're no longer a stranger. You're no longer a foreigner. You are a son and daughter of God, given a permanent place at the king's table to enjoy the grace and the lavish love of the Father forever and ever and ever as he pours out his grace, pours out his mercy for every ethnicity, every nationality, every tongue, and every tribe. What Jesus has given us a picture here is of a a kingdom table that is a mosaic. And this mosaic memorializes Christ's redemptive work and grace as he brings Gentile strangers in to sit at the table as sons and daughters. We have a third and final redemptive picture. And it's given in verses 14 through 17. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, 
he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, once again, Matthew points out Jesus' sovereignty over sickness. Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a fever. We know nothing more about her illness. Was this some form of ancient coronavirus? We have no idea. Was it just a fever? Was it a mild flu? Or was it something more serious and life-threatening? We have no idea. It could have been a big deal. It could have been just a little temporary sickness. But whatever it was, Jesus still cared Small or big, great or, 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 or not so significant of a sickness, Jesus still cared. He touched her hand, and she was made well. Later that night, they brought to him many people who were sick, who were oppressed by demons, those who needed healing, and he healed them. The reality that is being described in this text should give us hope in our current suffering. Jesus is sovereign. Jesus is sovereign. No disease, no fever, no COVID has ultimate power over our lives. The power belongs to Jesus alone. He merely stretches out his hand, says a word, and demons, diseases, COVID, microbes, SARS, measles, mumps, fevers, they all flee at his Single authoritative word. I think it's also important for us to see Jesus' great love for all people. Now, Jesus was the king. He should have been given a palace. He should have been given an entourage of people. He should have had a big crowd of important religious followers and, and the princes of Israel should have been walking behind him and serving him. But Jesus didn't come for those who thought they were healthy and well. Jesus came for lepers. He loved the leper. The one everyone else avoided. He loved the centurion, the one everybody else despised and who was an outsider in the land of Israel. He loved Peter's ordinary mother-in-law, a woman of whom we do not even know her name. For Jesus, there's no problem too big, whether it's an incurable, incurable disease or demon, impre- demon oppression. There's no person too unimportant for him, whether it's a leper, a centurion, or some mother-in-law in a house sick. He came for those who are sick. He came for those who are heavy laden. He came for you. He came for the outcast, for the marginalized, for the broken, for the hurting, for the mourning, for the depressed, and for the scared. He came for you. He welcomes all who come to him, and he does not send them away. He steps into the deepest darkness of suffering to bring us the light of life. He steps into our deepest pain to bring healing. He steps into the graveyard to resurrect his people. Now, as Matthew writes about Jesus' ministry, 
his mind is drawn to Isaiah 53, 4, which says he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, some of you have uh, English translations that will say something like he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. But whether it is illnesses, diseases, griefs, or sorrows, the point is the same. Jesus came to take on himself the consequences of the fall. All of these things have happened because mankind has sinned against God, that they've rebelled against God. When they, when they disobeyed God, when they tried to become God for themselves, the world was plunged into things like illnesses and diseases, griefs and sorrows. And yet Jesus has come to bear those things on himself. Matthew's intentionally drawing a connection between Jesus healing people and the Isaiah 53 suffering servant. He wants you to see, even in his healing ministry, that Jesus is the sacrificial servant of whom Isaiah prophesied. Now by doing this, I think Matthew foreshadows the real reason for which Christ came. Christ did not come merely so that our bodies would feel better. Jesus did not come merely so that the leper would become clean. He did not come merely so that Peter's mother-in-law would not have a fever. He, he, He didn't come just so that our bodies would be healthy. He came to be the suffering servant who, according to the rest of Isaiah 53, was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Jesus came to heal us of the incurable disease of sin, a disease far deadlier than any physical illness that we have on earth or have ever experienced on earth, COVID included, the black plague included. Sin by far has a greater mortality rate than any known human disease. Jesus came to heal that disease. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. As the Savior of the world, Jesus came to bear the punishment of my sin. The consequences of my rebellion. The wrath reserved for my insurrection. He carried my cross, shouldered my sinful disease, and died my death. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. His sacrifice for us was a labor of love that he willingly took on so that I might live. He did not complain. He did not curse those who were crucifying him. He did not vow vengeance on his executioners. And said he died knowing that he was dying for the sins of his people. He died knowing that it would be through his sacrificial death. Through his vicarious suffering. That many would be accounted righteous. For all of our sins. For all of our transgressions. For our deepest, darkest, nastiest, most perverse rebellion against God. Jesus came to take that from us. So that we may be declared righteous in the presence of God. And he died for us. But Jesus didn't stay dead. Because death can't hold the Son of God. 
Three days after he died, the stone rolled away. And Jesus proved that he had not just come to deal with disease, had not just come to die for sin. He came to destroy death. He came to give life. He came to bring us a guarantee that we have an eternal, reserved place in the presence of God forever and ever. In his resurrection, death has been defeated. His victorious grasp on our life has been undone. And the grave has lost its sting. By trusting in him, we are promised a resurrection like his. We're promised to be raised to eternal life, to enjoy his presence forever and ever. And all this because Christ has come to reign eternally as the son of David, the true king who holds all authority in heaven and earth. The true king to whom even disease bows. The true king to whom one day everyone will confess that he is Lord. Now, Matthew's entire goal is to show that there is life only in Jesus Christ. There's life nowhere else. Only Jesus can restore this world. Only Jesus can renew us back into an Eden-like presence with God. He proclaims the good news that in Jesus, your alienation is over. You're no longer a spiritual leper. If you come to Jesus, if Jesus touches you and makes you clean, you can now come into the presence of God. He declares to you that he is the blessing of the nation so that even you, an outsider, a Gentile, someone outside the covenant promises of God, can be brought in and given a seat at the table. He has come to show you that he is the suffering servant upon whom your sins have been laid and who has died so that you may be forgiven. And because of what he has done, there will be a day when every residue of the fall, from fevers, coronaviruses, to death itself, will all fade away. Revelation 21 gives us a glimpse of that day. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. As Christians, we have a tremendous reason for joy even in the darkest of days. No matter what we face in this life, no matter how long we're going to be sequestered to our own homes, no, long, no matter how long we're going to be distant from one another, we know this. We have been brought near to God. We have unity with Christ because we've been united with him in his death and his resurrection, and now we are inseparable from our creator and therefore inseparable from the rest of God's people. For us, the future doesn't hold death. For us, the future doesn't hold coronaviruses. Sure, we may all catch the coronavirus. We may all get sick. We may all have fevers. And it's guaranteed that until Jesus returns, we will all die. However, the ultimate future and final future for God's people is only life in the presence of God. Regardless of what trials may come, 
Now, there's some of you that are watching this sermon and you can't honestly say that you believe in Jesus. You've trusted in some other things. You've trusted in your own morality and the fact that you're a good, upstanding citizen, that you've done a lot of good things, that you've worked really hard and God loves hardworking people. And yet none of that can bring you restoration. None of that can bring you back into the presence of God. You cannot work into God's holy presence. It must be given to you through Jesus Christ. Matthew introduces you to the one who is willing for you to be made clean. He invites you to his table. He is the one who can bring you the forgiveness of sin and take away your guilt. So my friend, come to him like the leper. Kneel. Ask him to make you clean and his gentle hand will make you clean. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the truth of Matthew 8. We thank you, Lord, that it's not just all about our health and our physical bodies, Father, and that Jesus didn't just come to heal our diseases. He's come to heal our sin. He's come to end our separation. He's come to end our exile, and we praise you. Father, help us to be thankful for the gospel that you have given us in Jesus Christ. Help us to worship, Lord, even in dark days like this. Help us to know, Father, that no matter what comes, we are secure in your hand because Jesus has brought us in and not even COVID could separate us from the deep love that you have given us in him. We worship you today and we trust only in the one true son of God, the son of David, the son of Abraham, our healer, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. We love you and we are here to pray for you. If there's any way we can help or serve you, please do not hesitate to reach out.